Hey there, and welcome to episode four of the Rather Be Sweating podcast. I'm your host, Maria McBride. Now, in the first three episodes, I talk a lot about original hot yoga. In fact, episode two is completely dedicated to describing this particular yoga style. Today, I want to pull the curtain back behind the name, Original Hot Yoga. After all, it's a mouthful to say, and if you've been around this yoga community at all, or done a quick Google search regarding this yoga, you've undoubtedly heard it called Bikram Yoga. And believe it or not, my studio used to be called Bikram Yoga Natick, because Bikram Yoga used to be all that we offered. As years went by and I became more in tune with the reality that my business could truly be a reflection of my values, I realized that I could not call Bikram Yoga this powerful, healing, life-changing, incredible yoga by that particular name any longer. However, accepting that decision and then doing something about it did not happen automatically. I know this may seem like old news to some of you. And even though that may be the case, I want to take this episode to give a clear, transparent look into why I made the decision to call it Original Hot Yoga, in case you have questions regarding this unique detail regarding this practice. And on another level, I want to share this experience because I know how scary it can be to break away from doing something how you've always done it, especially when your decision regards risking your place within a community. So if you're going through that with your business or within your personal life, I hope that this episode will give you a nudge of confidence to do what you know is right in your heart. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, let me give you a quick and dirty timeline so you can stay organized with me here. I took my first Bikram yoga class in December of 2006. I completed Bikram yoga teacher training in June of 2008. I opened my studio and called it Bikram Yoga Natick in September of 2010. Nearly eight years went by. And in August of 2018, I rebranded my studio to be called Hometown Sweat. We had begun offering another fitness modality called Inferno Hot Pilates, and I wanted my business name to communicate more accurately who we were. And then finally, in the fall of 2019, I changed the name of our main class offering from Bikram Yoga to Original Hot Yoga. Now, as you know, from listening to episode three about body image and self-love, my entire self-image and really my whole life changed for the better when I started practicing this yoga. My self-worth increased, my muscles got strong, and I was able to do physical things without injury or pain. I could manage my stress. I could find 90 minutes of quiet that fueled me for the other 22 and a half hours of the day simply by getting into that yoga class. In my honeymoon phase with Bikram Yoga, so this would be in about 2006, I went digging for any information that I could find on this miraculous new hobby that was changing my life. I found the 60 Minutes CBS special where I learned that Bikram in Bikram Yoga is actually a person, Bikram Chowdhury. He was interviewed on the 60 Minutes special and his personality and his ego jumped off the screen in bold colors. If you've been around that Bikram Yoga block a time or two, you probably know the exact show that I'm talking about. I immediately thought, wow, this guy is a complete narcissist who's totally fueled by money and power. He's smart. He's manipulative. And he's able to market something life-changing. He actually reminded me a lot of my grandfather, someone who had similar qualities, the good ones and the bad, but who at the end of the day was still just my grandfather. I learned that Bikram Chowdhury's teacher training was nine weeks long and at the time cost about 10 grand. 
Despite the high cost, I knew deep down that I would attend this training and that I would teach this yoga. I knew in my gut that this yoga would be a huge part of my life, not because of Bikram Chowdhury, but because the yoga was just too damn good to ever part from. Fast forward two years later to the spring of 2008, and I did in fact attend the Bikram yoga teacher training in Acapulco, Mexico. At my teacher training, I got to meet Bikram. I took his classes. I asked him questions. He helped me with my locust pose. He also gave me feedback on my delivery of teaching half moon pose. Every single teacher trainee had to teach half moon pose in front of the entire teacher training. So for me, that was about 300 people. I still remember my turn. Bikram interrupted me when I was only halfway done and barked. Good. Very good. Good voice. Confident. Next. I remember feeling happy about his comment. Not overly happy, more just, hey, I love this yoga and maybe I'll be a good teacher. However, there were so many things about teacher training that I thought were weird, inappropriate, and even disturbing. Staying up late, I'm talking 3 a.m., watching Bollywood movies, fellow teacher trainees, all young women, brushing Bikram's hair during our lectures in the late night movies, hearing racist and sexist comments that Bikram made, seeing Bikram's girlfriend arrive at the training. He was married. I share all this. Because I have been asked over the years what my personal experience had been like. Now, I was 23 years old when I attended teacher training. And even at that age, I knew I was lucky to have that confidence that Bikram recognized, as well as an incredible support system back home. My job at teacher training was to take the classes, learn the postures, how to teach, get the hell home which is exactly what I did. After I graduated, I began teaching right away all around Massachusetts. I teach an evening double on the South Shore and then wake up the next morning at the crack of dawn to drive to Western Mass to teach three back-to-back classes. I attended posture clinics and continuing education seminars. I sat out mentoring. I observed private lessons. I asked questions, a ton of questions. I invited feedback. And even when it stung, I knew it was making me better. I immersed myself in the local Bikram yoga community, and I made real friends with this incredible yoga as our shared bond. In 2010, I opened my studio in my hometown, and I even named it Bikram Yoga Natick. Bikram yoga was what we taught, and Natick was where we were located. I did not have much business experience, but I figured that being direct and straight to the point about what we offered and where we were certainly wasn't a bad idea. I felt like I'd found my place in the world and I was really happy. The majority of my work relationships were with others who felt, as I did, that Bikram yoga really was just about the best thing in the world. As a side note, to be perfectly honest, I actually still do think the yoga is incredible and life-changing and one of the best things in the world, even all these years later. But back then... I wasn't willing to make room nor even see that other awesome modalities of movement and sweating could exist as well. I was very narrowly focused on this one yoga style. And in my small yoga community, that focus was supported and even celebrated. I'm not sure if there's a better way to say this. So I'll just tell you how I was feeling at the time. I felt as though I had solidified my place within my yoga community. I had support. I had people to talk to if I ever felt stuck. I had employees. I had students, customers really, coming to my business. I didn't want to do anything to disrupt this ecosystem of relationships, and I certainly didn't want to do anything to jeopardize my place in it. Now, I want to pause here to say that even before I went to teacher training in 2008, Allegations were being made against Bikram Chowdhury for sexual harassment and sexual assault. ESPN produced a comprehensive five-part podcast on their 30 for 30 series about Bikram yoga, 
and the horrific assaults that took place. I'll link to this series of podcasts in the show notes so that if you're interested, you can listen. That podcast goes into great detail with extensive interviews and research far beyond what you're listening to here. Here is about my experience and insight into a decision I made. The ESPN podcast came out in 2017, but even before that, I would periodically feel pangs of discomfort when I said the phrase Bikram Yoga. I hated thinking about the possibility of abuse and harassment and how the name of the yoga series, heck, the name of my business, could possibly make people feel mistrustful and unsafe. For my own personal comfort level, I was able to separate the man from the yoga. Gosh, I must have said that phrase to myself hundreds of times. I never discussed Bikram's behavior nor the allegations. I felt as though it took away from the physical and mental benefits of the actual yoga practice. After all, the yoga poses have been around for thousands of years. What I did do, though, was make tremendous efforts to let people know that my small business was truly independent and not part of an affiliation nor a franchise. I would always highlight that my studio was woman-owned and independent small business. I wanted to be clear that there was no money being paid to Bikram Chowdhury, no licensing fees, no franchise obligations. Trying to make sense of my role in the Bikram mess I thought a lot about my grandfather. My grandfather possessed some really bad qualities that were similar to so many of Bikram's personality traits. He caused hurt, anxiety, and stress. Not to me directly, but to people that I love. And yet, I still loved my grandfather. He was even a big reason why I opened my business. Here's what battled in my mind on a daily basis. Calling this series Bikram Yoga felt like I was supporting someone who had harassed, mistreated, and abused. Not calling this yoga series Bikram Yoga risked me losing the community of which I'd been a part. Calling this yoga series Bikram Yoga seemed like a slap in the face to the women who were so bravely coming forward and speaking out. Not calling this series Bikram Yoga made me fear that people would think I'd lost faith in the yoga. Sometimes I wondered if I'd think it too. Most of all, I feared that if I changed the name of what I called the yoga, I'd sacrifice my place on the community's mainland, and I'd be off on an island by myself. I was grappling, confused about whether I could still teach this yoga and practice these postures if I called it something different. The shift in my viewpoint happened quickly. I'd spent years clinging to the name Bikram Yoga until one day I woke up and thought, not anymore. I'd gained enough confidence in my teaching and my ability to help people with these healing and powerful postures that I knew changing the name to something more inclusive would not take anything away from the yoga. In fact, it would only add to it. By not changing the name, I realized I was doing more harm than good. Not only would we alienate victims of abuse and harassment, but I also feared that quite possibly folks would hear stories about Bikram Chowdhury, get so turned off that they'd never give this class a try. Here's the thing. The series of yoga postures that many of us know as Bikram Yoga has truly saved countless lives on physical, mental, and emotional levels. I've watched people relieve their chronic pain in a matter of weeks. I've witnessed firsthand folks pulling themselves out of debilitating depression by coming to class. This yoga has helped students quit drinking, be better parents, deal with divorce, take care of elderly family members, and handle grief and loss with grace and acceptance. My studio and the thousands of other independently owned studios teaching this incredible series are respites for all walks of life who need healing in some capacity. If even one person 
who needs this yoga is saddened or uncomfortable or afraid or worst case scenario, doesn't try it because they fear the name. That's one too many. And I had to surrender to the fears of being ostracized from my community if I made this name change. We often view a yoga class to be a microcosm of the real world. If you can maintain control within a challenging yoga posture and come out stronger on the other side, think about how that experience will help you in your daily life with all of the real challenges you face. I began to see that because the yoga class reflects real life, then the studio decisions I'd make especially the hard ones, should reflect the world in which I want to live and the world that I have borrowed from my children. I used to not want to talk about this stuff, and I'd retreat when anyone asked about the assaults, the harassment, and frankly, the Bikram yoga culture that I experienced at teacher training. But I think that in order to improve our world, we need to talk about this uncomfortable stuff. We need to get it out on the table so it doesn't happen again. When I changed the name of my studio's class offering to Original Hot Yoga, relief flooded me. (laughs) I felt so much better, so much more authentic, honest, and true. Yet I still had three consistent, distinct fears. Number one, would my colleagues think I'd lost faith in the yoga? Number two, would my students still trust that they'd be getting the most healing, life-changing yoga in the world? And number three, Will new students who desperately want and need the 90-minute hardcore yoga class be able to find my studio? With those first two questions, I realized that I was worried about my reputation rather than my integrity. And for me, I've had to learn to distinguish the two. Reputation for me is what I focus on when I know others are watching. Integrity, on the other hand, is what I focus on as if no one is watching. Reputations may change. People will think what they want to think, but I can go to sleep at night if I let my ideal integrity guide me. People deserve to feel safe and supported in the yoga studio in which they practice. My hope was that by changing the name of our class offering to Original Hot Yoga, we would communicate clearly and openly that we offer this life-changing yoga practice while saying hell no to harassment, dishonesty, and abuse of power. It's been about two and a half years since I changed the name of the class. All of the good that I had hoped would happen did happen. My community did shift. Some relationships fizzled, some stopped altogether, and new ones were born. One thing I'll say is that while my community is different now, I have immense gratitude and appreciation for every single person who has helped me and taught me along the way especially to those people who didn't even know they were giving me a lesson. And something else too, something for which I was not prepared at all. I began to teach and lead more powerfully with more empathy, more assertiveness, and more passion than I ever had. All I did was rename the class. That's it. We didn't change the series of poses or make it cooler or hotter or anything. We just changed the name. And this renaming kind of allowed for a rebirth of the yoga. This decision was hard. It came with sacrifice, no doubt. But now being on the other side and looking back, I realized that the decision pushed me into making my business and really my life reflect more accurately the hope, compassion, and honesty that I want to see in the world. And I have immense faith that this incredible series of yoga postures will continuously transform people's lives. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Rather Be Sweating podcast. If you have a moment and would leave a review on iTunes, I'd so appreciate it. I'm your host, Maria McBride, and I can't wait to tune in with you next week.